0: Go ahead and get started. Uh, Let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump in here. Lord, thank you so much for this last week and for your kindness to us. Thank you for how you've sustained us day by day. You enrich our hearts and our lives. We thank you for our families. We thank you, Lord, for our time of fellowship and being together here. We thank you, Lord, also for the conference this last weekend um, and Jim Ellef, and I pray that uh, you were honored and those who came were instructed and, and encouraged. Bless us, Lord, as we move into the third part of this series, um, and help us that with wisdom and uh, with grace we look forward to uh, what comes is coming in the future for all of us and also for our families and how we can help others to prepare and walk their way through in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I was at a conference last week. It was in Jackson, Tennessee. If you were wondering where I was at, the three of you were wondering where I was at. Um, It was a it was a nice conference. Uh we drove all the way out to Jackson and uh got there and, and the fellow who invited me as the pastor of the church was a is an old friend of ours from RTS from a Foreign Theological center He used to run the bookstore and his wife used to be a bookstore worker. And so I got to be part of the matchmaking. De-de-de-de. So it was really cool. And then so we get there and all their their older kids are now in college. You know, it was like, whoa, that just happened like yesterday. What? That was so quick. And then their younger ones were there. Um, they have a 15-year-old daughter, and she was our hostess. She cooked for us and did all this. It was really pretty cool, so it was really nice. And the conference was fine. It's great being the, the unknown entity, because nobody's prepared for me, you know You know what I mean? And um, it was on the five solas. So it was uh, solas, uh, uh, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, the glory of God alone. We did it also on a Sunday, so it was basically church. And Sunday school, that was a conference, but there were two PCA churches there, there's two in town. And then a couple of Luther, a Lutheran couple showed up, and they were just ecstatic about the whole series. And so, that was pretty cool. Um, it, was, it was enjoyable, it was fun to do, and uh, I think the Lord was honored. Uh, he was the centerpiece of everything we said, so that was pretty cool. And then we came back, and that was really cold. It was wet and cold. And so, we were glad to get home and get warmed up, so... Anyways, that was our conference. Um, So let's start into our class. I'm going to try to catch us up to speed here. Uh, Before it's time, considerations as the end gets closer. Um, In the short class, we'll be answering several questions. Uh, Are we to do everything it takes or costs to live as long as possible? Is there a time to refuse life-sustaining treatments? Our advanced directives do not resuscitate and do not intubate orders. Are they valuable and biblical? What might a biblically informed advanced directive, AD, advanced directive, look like? What is the role of hospice and does it mean we're giving up? Why is, to quote Elijah as he comes to King Hezekiah, why is, uh, not Elijah, but, um, yeah, it is Elijah, or Elisha. As he comes to King Hezekiah, why does it his, his statement to him, get your house in order, why is that an important action before we're gone? And then is cremation right or is it sinful? Should Christians do a church funeral or a funeral home, ser- uh, memorial service? And what does a Christian funeral and burial mean? And if there are other questions, because I'm not hitting everything, because I'm hoping, because we had 20-something copies of these and they're all gone, so I'm hoping that several of you have grabbed one and started reading through. I know some of you have. And you'll find a lot of answers to that question. There's also, there are copies still back there of the white paper from the, the PCA that we did back in 1988 on heroic measures and it deals with a lot of these same questions. And it's easier to read in the sense that it's only eight pages versus 388 pages, so you know. Um, but I hope you've got a chance to read that. If you don't, there, like I said, there's some copies back there. There's also slide, these slides are copied back there. So if one you need is to copy these slides. They're right back there on that table next to the goodies. So everybody know what's back there? Okay. The goodies. Yeah, next to the goodies. Yes. Got it. So we've really already answered this. We're going to come back and review this very quickly. And we started answering this one two weeks ago. Um, so we're, we're moving ahead here. So I'm not going to answer every question that everybody has, but if you have a, a really burning question that we need to deal with, let me know so I can figure out where to put it in and actually work through giving you a good answer, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, all right. So we answered this question already. Are we to do everything it takes or costs to live as long as possible? And We looked at several scriptures. We looked at uh, that we are a pro-life people because God is, a pro-life, is pro-life. He's not a pro-life people, but He's pro-life. Right, we looked at all of those things from Scripture, and yet we see our Lord Jesus didn't do everything it took and everything it cost to stay alive because greater love is no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. Right, and so we went through several other passages, and this is kind of the conclusion we came to. And this is from Bill Davis, that white book, uh, Departing in Peace. Quote: We are not to hasten our own death or the death of others apart from just warfare or capital punishment. But avoiding death should not be our primary goal. We are made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and the end of physical life will be only one moment in the greater objective. I think it's valuable for us to keep going back to that paragraph, that statement, and remembering that. Okay. Uh, is there, so then we move to the second question. Is there a time to refuse life-sustaining treatment? Um. And a couple of answers so some of this came up in the discussion um doctor is this going to prolong their life or is this going to just prolong their death And i think that's a valuable question to ask that's what both bill davis and his book and what our position paper brings up very clearly that that there is a difference okay and if you if you come at this subject from the old culture wars does everybody remember the culture wars from the 1980s moral majority and all that it was like, you have to do everything to stay alive. That shows you're pro-life, and you can never deny life-sustaining treatment, and so forth. Nobody else remembers that. I remember that. Okay, that was the rhetoric, okay? And so, that's why I've said, don't come at this through the culture war lens. We, we made some mistakes, okay, in some of our rhetoric, okay? And so, I think this is a very, it's a good question, and, it's a, and the answers we came up to, Scripturally, and then using uh, the guidance from uh, Bill Davis and also from our position paper was helpful. Especially near the end of life, medical treatment can become ineffective. In fact, all medical treatment in the end will be ineffective. Okay, very good. Treatment may be ineffective even when it extends physical life a bit and reduces discomfort Accepting that medicine has reached the limit of its effectiveness can be difficult, and it can be. Medical knowledge has advanced so rapidly in our lifetimes that we have come to expect that there is always something more that medicine can do. And having sat with people in the hospitals before, I've heard that statement. Sure, they can do something. Well, they might, but it may not be what you're expecting and it may not be the value that you're hoping for. And and as we mentioned, even doctors are very... They're all human. Doctors are human. Did nobody know that? Doctors are human. They have the same issues we have. Right? The same fear of death. The same same fear of dying. The same... uh, uh, Living in the same kind of dreamy world at times. Sometimes they believe their own press releases and think that they're gods and can actually do miracles. Okay? People do that. It's not just doctors. People do that. Okay? And so I think this is a really helpful... as we're we're answering this question, it's very helpful for us. As the position paper says, the white paper, which are copies of back there, um, I'm sorry, this is uh, Bill Davis still, as it brings the author to say clearly, letting die is not the same as killing. Okay, in those situations, remember that that's the situation, okay? In those situations, letting die is not the same as killing. I think that's important to remember. If you have questions or anything as we're moving along, please throw your hand up. Okay. So, still talking about the answer to this question, is there a time to refuse life-sustaining treatment? I've kind of quickly caught you up to speed, but now, uh, at this point, I want to refine our answer with two other thoughts, okay? We want to refine our answer with two other thoughts. First, we do have an obligation to accept care that is likely to maintain or restore health. Do you understand the the reason why I stated that? We have an obligation to actually accept care that will likely, likely, likely is the probability statement, right, that is likely, no guarantees, that is likely to maintain or restore health. For us to refuse medical care when we're really, we could recover is, is problematic. Does that make sense? So we have an obligation uh, again, going back to the, the larger catechism, it, it was uh, unpacking the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. All careful, so the, the commandment requires all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust, taking away of the life of any. So we're right to be pro-life. We're right to actually get involved when somebody becomes suicidal. Even if they're in hospice and they're becoming suicidal. We're right to get involved and and try to help them out of that mindset. Does that make sense? Okay. And then what does the sixth commandment forbid? All taking away of the life of ourselves or of others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation. And that answer goes on. It's a very big answer about like this, both of those are. And so, uh, we do have an obligation to accept the care that is likely to maintain or restore our health. Yes, sir. Right. they Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, it's not hospice. It's just they may be even in hospice, but if they speed up the end of their life, then that's the problem. Yeah. Great question. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that was uh, early 1990s, there was, uh, uh, I don't remember what the, it was part of the living will at the time, all these, a lot of those things that you and I heard uh, bad press on back in the early, the late 80s and the early 90s, the medical community is, has changed a lot of that stuff, and when we get into advanced directives, I'll show you, because um, generally speaking, you actually have allies in the medical community. A vast majority want a lot of the same things you want in reference to life, dying, things like that, okay? So, um, but that was a situation where she had signed a document but it got misused to withhold life-sustaining food and drink, and this was not force-feeding, this was she could still eat and she could still drink like you're right now nibbling on stuff, right? And so the medical community felt like their hands were tied And they could not give her anything. And so I remember the pastor was a friend of ours. Went in and gave her food and drink. And they kicked him out of the hospital. They had to force him out of the hospital. I don't know all the other details, but that's my memory of, of that as well. Yes. It's a choice that they can make because what, because they're, they're, they are on a decline. They're not hastening their death. They're simply saying, this is not necessarily going to maintain me. Because think about it. If it's a growth and then I have to do chemo, but then I'm, in, you know, I'm already declining. It would be like somebody in hospice. By the way, when we get to talking about hospice, you cannot do life-sustaining treatment in hospice. Okay? Because that's a totally different deal. Right? So it just depends on the family and her and that person... What they're actually trying to get across, right? Yeah, there's You want to do what they, what the person who's dying wants. But if it's unrighteous, if it's unbiblical, then you then you have to, you have to voice a different direction. Yep. (laughs) Yes.
1: Right. Yes.
0: This is why, when we get to advanced directors, why advanced directors are helpful, right? So they don't, they're not, I mean, they they do a lot, they do a lot of good things, but that's that's part of the problem is that sometimes, you know, like siblings, right? The sibling that's there caring for the parent, then comes the sibling that has nothing to do with caring for the parent, lives in another state, comes in and says, why are you killing mom? Well, I'm doing what mom said, yeah, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, and a lot of it's just because people are for, don't want to let the loved one go, and so we talked about that last time. You know, Jesus' statement, "Do to others as you would have them do unto your to yourself," right? To do to you, it even comes up in the white paper and Bill's Davis's book that very often we would not want mm-hmm. those extra treatments and and efforts made, but we don't we don't want to let our parents or whoever die. We're gonna do everything we can to save them. We wouldn't want this treatment for us, but we we're gonna make it happen for them when we're not even listening to Jesus when we do that then. So Great. Does that make sense? I see some squinty eyes. Is everybody confused already? I can help you get more confused. It's okay. Yes? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's where, like, in this situation, it would be whoever it is. Let's just say it's mom. Mom, let's at least see if it's benign or malignant. If it's benign, then it would be right for us to remove that. But you you can get there, right? Does this make sense, Cindy? Yeah. Yeah yeah well so there's there is a legal process where they actually uh will uh, the doctors can actually say they're not i don't remember the 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 actual phrase but they're no longer able to make those decisions yes that's it mental capacity that's the phrase I was looking for yeah yeah and so there's that, there's that, so if that person moves into the state where they no longer have the mental capacity, then it's the next of kin, which is usually laid out also in the advanced directive. So it'll be the next of kin, which would be the spouse, or the if there's no spouse, then the, siblings, the kids, things like that. Does that make sense? And so they may, they may have said to you, don't do anything, and then they're incapacitated, and then there's this growth. You want to know, was that benign or malignant? If it's benign, we can remove it and still you know stick with mom's wishes generally does that make sense so before we go on but just remember all of this is not so we are we're talking principles here because this is messy already just in this discussion this is messy so if you have the biblical principles it's not situational ethics it's how do you apply the biblical principles in the various situations if you have the principles it doesn't mean it'll make it easier, always easier in the muddy situation, but it can guide you in those muddy situations. Does that make sense, Alan? Right. 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 I uh, if Mike Little was here, he's an EMSA first responder. He could probably tell us stories about it, even doing, uh, doing um, resuscitation on people and just the complications that come with that at times and stuff. But you're right. And the reason why the life-sustaining, why I put that up there, because that's how it's often talked about. So anything is considered life-sustaining. Like if I have to force-feed you, that's considered life-sustaining, even if you're brain dead, right? So that's, that's called life-sustaining by at least most people. That's why it's up there, so. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, moving on. So is there a time refused life stain treatment? Uh, Bill Davis goes on to say, God's word does not say that we are required to suffer merely in order to live as long as possible. I think that's important as a principle just to keep in mind. We're not required to live to suffer merely in order to live as long as possible. So sometimes um, we're dying and maybe the treatment would only make the dying longer and the suffering longer, right? That's the idea behind that statement, okay? Uh, Davis goes on another place. He says, between, between our desire to hold to life and our confidence in medical technology, we struggle to think clearly about our remaining medical options and we may lose sight of the great blessing we have And being kept comfortable in our final hours, sometimes, sometimes we can become so enamored with "I've got to live another day," and then um, the pain is such that you are non-communicative to your loved ones. I've I've been there. I've I've walked with some people through that. Right? It can become impossible. On the other side of that, so we had a woman that was in hosp. I think I told you this already. We had a woman who was in hospice who had a brain tumor and. Uh, before she was put in hospice, the, the tumor was so, you know, you know what that is, right? So it's moving on the brain and just the screaming she was doing, she was just incapacitated in communication, okay? And they bring her a hospice and they uh, did the pain management, it was morphine, something like that. And when I went in to see her, she seemed drunk, right? And that has a lot to do with the meds, but also the, the, the tumor. But what was intriguing... And what was really cool was that she was able to communicate with her family. She was able to communicate without screaming, without being in excruciating pain. And that's that making that decision, which way do I go, right? So so actually finding that closing out my days, my last couple of days, being able to communicate with my family, there's a blessing in that, right? Being able to say goodbye, things like that. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Any questions up to this point? Yes, sir. Ma'am. Uh-huh. And I, by the way, I've heard that before. Yes. I watch people with COPD and emphysema who are unable to breathe and all of a sudden they're being treated at hospice and they ex- they lived outlived their prognosis because they were actually able to breathe because their lungs calmed down and they were they were, you know, not in that pain and, and gasping and that's a drowning, by the way, that's a drowning person. That's how they, they act. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It is horrible. And the, part of that is because back in the day, uh you see did anybody ever see Saving Private Ryan? You remember that they were all traumatized that they had to give they, they all gave the medic their little modules of morphine? Because they were told, and we've been told for decades that morphine will kill you. Right now there's a truth to that. Anything will kill you. You drink too much coffee, you're a dead woman. Right? But the problem was is that it was like one little thing of of morphine that's all you can get because anything beyond that will kill you. That was the kind of sentiment and so that was, you see a lot of that I mean still in the, especially those who were uh, in the medical community 30 years ago. That's what even they were told. And so you have some of that going on. But that, that doesn't, you know, here's somebody in a hospice It's not necessarily going to kill them. It's really not going to kill them because they're not going to overdose them. Right? But it will calm them down. So, yeah, it's good. Yes. 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 Yes, please. Yeah, and that's my hope. Yeah, that's my hope about doing this class is that biblically you can have that discussion. Maybe you're 30 years old and you know, grandma's getting close to that stage or you're getting close to that stage or whatever the case may be, you'd be encouraged biblically to have those discussions. You need to have them now and not when it's at the end and you're no longer maybe competent to even have that discussion. As I've said before, when a loved one dies, those who are remaining, most of them go through lots of grief and feelings of guilt. Bill can tell you he did, used to do grief share here. And there's a lot of that that happens. Well, if there's no communication as to what mom wants, then you then have an extra set of guilt. And the guilt is, I, did I do everything I was supposed to? Did I do what mom would want? Now you've upped the guilty sect, the guilt feelings. And it is traumatic. I'm going to tell you, it's, tra- it's traumatic um having walked with several people after they their loved ones have died and they will confide sometimes to me in private and they'll say i you know they start explaining what they're feeling the guilt they're feeling they go why why am i the only one that feels this way And it's like well first off you're not the only one that feels this way secondly it's understandable because of these things but so so yes i'm hoping that from this we'll have that discussion
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's take this and move just a little bit further. Is there a time to actually stop life-sustaining treatment? Here, I'm just I'm using life-sustaining in a broad category. Um, and so, the white paper, if you grab the white paper, um, I think this was very helpful. Quote, a decision to withdraw medical support from a patient should be based upon the same medical and ethical considerations as a decision not to initiate it. Of course, the withdrawal of treatment is more difficult when it seems likely that death will be hasten, likely that death will be hastened by that decision. Actually, a decision to withdraw life support is often based upon better medical evidence than a decision to initiate life support. Heroic measures are frequently started in uh, in an acute situation when physicians must make quick decisions about patients but with limited information over the next few days or weeks, however, with continued observation and additional information, they may discover that a feeding tube, it's just using this as an example, that a feeding tube or respirator may only be prolonging the dying process, whereas when these measures were started, some hope of recovery was realistic. Okay, And I think that's important to keep in mind because I've sat, and I'll, I'm going to use one of here as a case study in a minute, but I've sat in a room where the family was... Uh, afraid that by turning off a machine, their brain-dead son, it would kill their brain-dead. He was already dead. The medical community already had already come in after a week and said, he's just not there. Okay, But they thought they were killing him if they turned off the life-sustaining treatment. But they weren't. And so this aspect of, oftentimes, it's, it started in an acute situation, but now as time goes by, we well, you know better we see better what's really going on, and so then it's an even better decision, um, a better informed decision uh, when it comes to that point. Does that make sense? Anybody have any questions about that? Does that... Yep. Yeah? Yeah? sign that he was still there alive, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's hard because you see your loved one and maybe there's some responses in that situation. But then if you've ever killed a snake, you always realize the nerves are still alive and active and you realize... I'm sorry, but it's true. You kill a snake and that thing is still wandering around and it looks like it's going to bite you and all those things. And I, but it's just the way it is. If Ana Victoria was here, she would tell you about doing autopsies. Ana Victoria loves to do autopsies, by the way. And she would tell you about, you can actually do certain things with the nerves, even of a cadaver, and still make the hand do this. You know, I mean, sorry. That's, but my point is, is just that. Is you, What you see may not be anything other than just a nerve action. And not necessarily any proof that that person really is even there. Does that make sense? Okay. Alright, well let's move on. So in all of these decisions, in all of our decisions, and we haven't covered everything because I'm just not going to be exhaustive, but, but in all of these decisions, we want to do certain things. We want to, number one, pray. Right? There's nothing wrong with praying. If, you, if, if you're not sure if somebody's brain dead, it's okay. You just pray for them anyways. Okay? Pray. Pray for your family. Pray for you. Pray for the doctors. Pray. But pray. Whatever you do is pray. We can and should should pray for health. We should pray for strength. We should pray for recovery. And we pray for these things, knowing, confident that our prayers are being heard and will be answered. It was an Anglican priest friend of mine who pointed this out to me that I've carried with me ever since. Our prayer for their recovery especially when we're praying for Christians, that their recovery will be answered. It might be answered temporarily right now, or it might not be. But because Christ is risen and preparing a place for us and will return to raise us from sin's curse and death, our prayers are certainly going to be answered in God's eternal presence. So pray. There's nothing wrong with you pray. And we often say, Lord, if it's Your will, may they recover. It is ultimately His will. So yes, that's great news. Right? And so pray. So number 1 pray. Secondly, when needed, seek forgiveness. Person may be lingering, they're dying, they're lingering, and it may be that they need to be restored to someone. It may be that they need you to ask them for forgiveness. They're hanging on because there's this rift between you and them, okay? It may be there's someone in your family that needs to be reconciled, and they need to hear it before they can pass peacefully. And so, always seek forgiveness, okay? Uh, if needed, seek forgiveness, seek reconciliation, relationships. I had a, uh, two patients uh, in hospice. One was, uh, she was in a coma, and she was lingering, it was grandma. I think I've told you this before. And grandma was just lingering, and the kids were like, why is God making grandma linger? And I just had one of these brilliant moments. It's one of the few I've had, okay? And so I said to the, 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 the daughter and son-in-law, I said, uh, is there someone that grandma's at odds with or someone that the family's at odds with? And the, the daughter and the son-in-law looked at me like, oh, you can read minds. And they said, well, we're at odds with my brother and his wife. Does grandma know that? Oh, yeah. Grandma's been trying to bring reconciliation for years. Well, are they coming in? Yes, they're flying in. they'll be here in an hour. Well, when they come in, go to another room, hug and make up, kiss and make up, and come in and tell Grandma, who's in a coma, tell Grandma, together, stand together and tell Grandma, Grandma, we are at peace. We have forgiven each other. We have been reconciled. You can depart in peace. It happened, and she did. There was another patient who uh, was thrashing. It was one of the worst deaths I'd seen, um, worst dyings I'd seen. And even the hospice folks were just... You need to pray for hospice people. They see quite a bit. And they were traumatized. And the, the mother and the daughter were there, and the, the fellow who was dying was in the bed, and he was just physically thrashing. But he was in a coma. But he was moving. He was thrashing. He was uncomfortable. All these things. And I just, I just asked him. I said, is there somebody he needs to be reconciled to and needs to be reconciled to him? Do you have a, is there a son? or something, and they looked at me like, how would you know he had a son? Well, I didn't know, I just was throwing it out there. Well, yeah, there's a son. Oh, well, do you want me to call him? No. He told us before he went into a coma. I don't want that son in my life. I don't want to be reconciled to him. Do not call him whatever you do. And I said, okay, you don't need to call him. You give me his number, I'll call him so you can make Daddy happy. You hear my little funny deal there? And they said, no. And I said, He's telling you, he's, he's, he's dying. He's about to hit the end and he's finally realizing how stupid he is. And I'm saying this so he can hear me. How stupid he's been at keeping this, this hostile condition with his son. His son needs to come here and they need to be reconciled. No, we're not going to do it. Okay? And it was like three days of miserable dying after that. It was horrible. Okay? I mean, I'm telling you, my friends, I'm telling you, it is the time. It, before then is a better time. But if you're dying or they're dying, it is a good time if needed to seek forgiveness and seek reconciliation. Okay? Not to take a grudge with you or let them take a grudge with them when they go. Alright? Yep. Yeah. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I saw my dad as he was dying. Um, he was in a coma. And he was, as far as I know, he was not necessarily a Christian. He hadn't been to church in 30-something years. And I didn't know there was another part of the story that came up at the graveside where the preacher had actually seen him in the rehab before he went to a coma. So there was some hopefulness there. But I got there and my dad's in a coma and I went through and read Scripture and prayed with him and I read John 3, 16, 17 and did a, every, you know, read all that stuff. And then finally at the end I said, Dad, I love you. I said, you've been a great dad. If you're at peace with God, it's okay, you can go. It was gone in five minutes. And so it is helpful just to remember those things, okay? Um, if you're on the receiving end of medical, uh, of medical treatment, health problems and so forth, do receive the care. Uh, receive it with gratitude that you have loved ones who care. Okay, I realize that, you know, we don't, none of us want to be incompetent or, or in, incapacitated, but when we're at that stage, if our loved ones are helping us, you know, and the medical community is doing their part, Receive it with care. Don't be the grumpy old person who's dying a miserable death and making everybody else miserable as you go out the door. Okay? And I've seen that too. All right, Be grateful. Lord, thank you that I'm surrounded by family and the medical community is here helping out. May I glorify you always in my body whether I live or I die. Philippians 1, verse 20 and 21. Fred? Fred? It does. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so things to avoid. The anticipation of and planning for. And this is the real phrase I'm really gunning at here. The planning for miracle. Okay. I don't know if you've ever had that situation. Well, we're just trying to make space for God to do a miracle. That's why we're doing all this extra treatment. Right. Right. Okay, so that anticipation, planning for for God to do a miracle. God doesn't need our anticipation or our plans. He doesn't need us to make space for a miracle. Okay? And so what happens sometimes is families will irrationally say, we're just trying to make space for God to do a miracle as if somehow it's in their power and their control they can make it happen. And then the dying is more miserable and longer and everybody else is affected by it. Okay? Ungratefulness, I already mentioned this on the other side, ungratefulness and bitterness toward God and toward others. Okay? You want to avoid that. Um, sac- sacrificing your family's future for your benefit and presuming on the charitableness of others for your family's future. Uh, I'm going to do all that it takes to stay alive and I don't care what happens to my finances and I'll trust the church will take care of my mom or my wife or whatever. It was funny, uh, I was reading uh, about Jonathan Livingston, and his attitude was he didn't take care of his family. He sent them back to England because he assumed that the mission society would take care of them. He just presumed that they would take care of them, the church would take care of them, and they were miserable for, for years because they didn't have anything. It's, it's a, there's actually a selfish sinfulness in making that presumption. Another thing to avoid is promoting the illusion that you won't die. Right? Some people do that. But it is an illusion, by the way. All right, so there you go. We're up to that that point. Any questions? Did I hear somebody? Yes. What? Oh, yes. Mama, I don't want to talk about dying. We're not going to talk about it. I mean, like, like it's never going to happen if we don't talk about it. Well... Yeah, yeah. 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 Great. All right, so any questions? i got some case studies. We have a couple minutes for case studies in a second, but any questions at this point? All right, case studies. Two of them. This one actually was at my first church right after I got there. This happened. Uh, and I don't remember if this is the boy's name, but it's good because I'm hiding the name then. <laughs> To Cody, 18 years old. Cody has a traumatic brain injury from an auto accident. He was thrown through the windshield of his truck, hits the road out in front of his truck. He was probably already drunk before the accident, which is probably what caused the accident. He's thrown out, um, it's traumatic brain injury. Uh, he's immediately put on life support. Uh, as we were looking at that statement, that's the thing the doctors did because they didn't know everything else. So it was an acute situation. They did what they thought was right at the moment. Uh, But now it's two weeks into the process, and the medical community, by the way, the lead doctor is a Christian, the medical community says to Cody's family that Cody is not there. There's no activity, the brain is swollen, Bill could tell you all the gory details here. The brain is swollen, there's just no activity uh, at all, and he's on this life support, Uh, and so they're asking the family to take him off the life support, and the family is afraid that they will be killing Cody if they take him off life support. So There's the case. What might be, if you were there, you're the family member, you're brought in, and you're listening to all this, what might be some things you might want to guide them with? Oh, okay. Everybody in Mississippi is a believer, so Yes. That's where they all talk, so, yeah. Supposed to be, yes. Good question. Which is interesting, because they're supposed to be, and yet, it's like this life is everything. So, folk religion still reigns, and it comes out. You'll see a lot in dying. Moose. And that's what they were trying to say is he's really he is dead. What they told him that. So they told him that, yeah. Nobody else? Other what else what might you say? Yeah. Right. Right. And that's why the, the request to take him off the life support because there is no likelihood of recovery. Yep. Yeah. 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 Right. Yep. Yep. Anybody else? Right. So, uh, Bill Davis says, too often we push for treatment because we are not ready to lose our loved one. When that happens, we are putting our needs ahead of the loved one's wishes. I think that's important to remember. In this situation, um, what I did is, uh, when I sat with them, they didn't even go to our church. They went to a different church, but people in our church knew them and wanted me to go, so I was there with them. I went twice. The second time I went, it was very clear from the doctor, who was a Christian, who was very much about life, that there was no life really there, that this was artificially being sustained. And so just comforting the family and saying, look, if you do this, you're not killing him. He's already gone. And just encouraging, that's all I said. I didn't shame them. There's no shaming that needs to be done, right? No, well, come on. Don't you know he's, al- no, it's just, this is okay. And they, they have to get their head and heart around this. And so I said, why don't you talk to the doctor about saying goodbye to Cody? We can go in there. Yeah, you can go in there and say goodbye to him. I can't tell you how often. Anyway, so that's a that's a hurdle they have to jump over to actually walk in and do that. And they did, and then they actually were they were finally at peace with that. And the machines were off, and he was gone. He, he his body ceased to function. Homosexuality. Yes. Yeah, I know. I got it. I got it. I know. I understand. I got it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yeah, as Moose just said, it's on a totally different other emotional level. Yeah. All the moms, all the moms have outvoted you, Moose. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, Brandon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the Army. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, there's a greater chance of recovery for that age than maybe my age, right? Yeah. And there were probably other things. And that's a combat situation, so there's less technical stuff in the tent, in the medical tent, I'm going to tell you. So they don't have all this CAT scan and MRI stuff. They don't have all. They're going off of just the, the vital signs and stuff. So yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. This was in the news. This was in the news. Yes. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. And that's extremely important. It is important. That's why I we bring that up. I mean, when, we're in, when you're in this situation, you're, you're, you're ministering to someone, right? And so recognize that you can go as slow as they need to go. And, but then if they, you know, and so that's what you want to do. You want to help them have some closure to that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was my second visit, yeah. So this was in the news this week. And I thought about that. I thought it was very interesting. It was in the news. This was uh, Lawrence Fauchet. I guess I just butchered his last name. You may remember the story, he's 58 years old, he was a Navy veteran, he had a failed heart with other complicated uh, health issues. He was not a candidate, because of his other health issues, he was not a candidate for a regular heart transplant. and So he was given no guarantees that what was going to happen was going to work, but they said, hey, we've got a, a, you would be the second person to get a pig heart, a genetically altered pig heart. Does anybody remember this story? Okay, and he said, I want to do it because I just want to spend a little more time with my wife and my kids. So he made a, an informed decision where he thought about it and he said, I think this would be a good thing to do because I do want to spend a little bit more time with them before I go. I know I'm going, but I want to be able to do that. So he lasted about six weeks. Okay, so I've got some questions. Do you think about that, according to Scripture, was Lawrence Fauchet, was he obligated to take this procedure? No. So, according to Scripture, was Fauche wrong to take this experimental procedure? Huh? Why? Why? Well, tell me why. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Good. All right. So here's the last question. What were circumstances that needed to be taken into consideration? That might have been one. Hold that thought. Very good. Hold that thought. Anybody else? Any other considerations? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, from all that I read, I don't know, I didn't see anything specifically stated, but the way I read it, the way I understood the articles I read, it sounded like they were footing the bill, not not Pochet and his family. But that is a good consideration. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, great question. So from the quotes I saw... They were on board with this, knowing that this may not fix everything or even be a long. Yeah, I assume it sounded like he was probably in the hospital the whole time. Yeah, great. Good considerations. He was able to, which was good. So he was able to, but those are considerations. Nathan, did you have one? I mean, Aaron. Did the pig consent? Moving right along, Marge. The pig was all heart. Uh, Yeah, great question. Uh, If he had not received the transplant, how long would he have lived? And so, apparently they didn't give him a good prognosis or a long prognosis anyways. And so, yeah. Great. So this kind of goes along with Adam's, or Adam, Alan's statement. So this is right out of the article, CNN Health, 1 November 2023. Mr. Fauché's last wish was for us to make the most of what we have learned from our experience so others may be guaranteed a chance for a new heart when a human organ is available. Unavailable. Yes, unavailable. He then told the team of doctors and nurses he, who gathered around him that he loved us. So he was communicating with the medical staff. Even we will miss him tremendously. Dr. Bartley Griffith, uh, who was the guy who was in charge of this, uh, he performed experimental surgery and so forth. That was the statement in the article. So, I mean, that's where we're. So we're just using that as a case study, as an example, right? Okay. Any questions? We need. To, we're done here for today. Any questions, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. Was it like chocolate cow? So he could have chocolate. No. Yeah. 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 So we've been doing that with cow. With yeah. Yeah. With cow arteries. But I remember at the very beginning when that was first started, there were lots of rejections that happened. People still died, and so those people that braved that did that on behalf of others. And so yeah, good. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. It's a relief for you and it's a relief for them. I mean it's a huge relief. I can tell you from experience it's a huge help to them as well. But And then to go back to something that Pam was saying earlier, and this is why I was hoping for the class, is that not only are we talking about us getting close to the end, but we could be, whatever your age is, you could be there in a heartbeat, but you're going to also, if you don't, you're going to also end up taking care of family members who will be moving there. So this is valuable for all of us across the board. Okay, one last one. CJ? No? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right, right, right. So keep them up. Uh, Kelly's point is keep them up to date. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for today. We'll come back. Next week, we're actually going to look at advanced directives next week. uh, And then do not resuscitate. Do not intubate. And you can look at that, where that's at in the book. You can check the white paper out on those, and uh, we'll talk about those next week. Let's pray. Lord God, as we talk about such a heavy subject, some people find it really difficult. And I understand there's lots of grief from past experiences with family. Um, Sometimes, Lord, our own nature wants us to revolt against death and revolt against our own mortality. Lord, thank You that You have answered mortality with triumphant victory in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that He was raised from the dead on the third day, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, no longer subject to misery or mortality. And He will always be alive, and He will raise us to life forever with Him. Body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. Whatever that all means, Lord, it gives us hope. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, continue to encourage us to, to, to uh, get our house in order, as it were, and to do the things that we need to do, to have those conversations we need to have. And now, Lord, we leave here and we go to the great assembly so that we may worship you, the Lord of life, the life-giving, liberty-giving, love-giving God. In Jesus' name, amen.